Pastor Joey, for those of you that are new, welcome to the most wonderful time of the year. I love the Christmas season, and uh, we are in a current series, that a teaching series, where we're looking basically at the common trends and beliefs about Christmas, the Christmas story, traditions that we may have in our homes. And if I could just get the volume down just a little bit, uh, I don't like the sound of my own voice, I guess. I'm just now discovering that. But uh, um, just to recap, we've been looking at uh, different experiences and, and things throughout the year. In the first week, we're now in week three. The first week, we talked about that it's the most wonderful time for fellowship. That somehow, for some reason, when it gets to be this season, we're all just like marking our calendars, trying to figure out when we're going to get together with our loved ones, our family, and our friends, and what really is the spiritual significance to how Jesus brings us together and to through getting together that we truly can experience comfort and great joy. In week two, last week we talked about it's the most wonderful time for a feast because for some reason when we get together to, to hang out, to share in the joy of the season, we have to eat and eat more than we probably should. Uh, there's got to be pie in there somewhere, uh, Christmas cookies and, and all of those things. But there's also a spiritual reason as to why we feast together, that really when Jesus was laid in the manger, the Lamb of God who was given to take away the sins of the world was laid in the manger so that all the God's lost sheep would know to come and dine on the one meal that would bring the greatest fulfillment that we could ever experience. To have a relationship with God, the presence of God, think about this very fact, that God Almighty who spoke everything into existence, who stands outside of time, there's nothing in this world that can contain him. He chose himself to come and live inside every believer, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. The infinite power that created the universe lives in all who call on the name of the Lord. What an amazing thing. The scripture says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, was given to you by God, so that on the last day he would also raise you from the dead. That very spirit, the, the very power source that Jesus used to do miracles all over the world, all with everyone he touched, is the same spirit that lives in those who believe so that God can fill your heart with his love. So God can fill every void in your life that this broken world creates, that the devastating circumstances, broken relationships, pain and suffering, everything the enemy does in your life, the Spirit of God comes to fill it with the love of God. Such an amazing, amazing thing. And when we recognize and we celebrate with the Lord's Supper that we will in just a minute as we're beginning to do week after week to remind ourselves why Jesus came. It was to redeem the world and, and why he was born in a manger. It was so that one day he could die on a cross for the sins of the world. 
But he came and he was laid in a manger and it was God's invitation to come and feast on the very thing that will fulfill your life and save your soul. And so this week, we're going to continue in this realm of thinking. We're going to talk about that this is the most wonderful time for giving gifts. You know, around Christmas time, we, we do all sorts of gift giving. Gift giving is something we do during special occasions, anniversaries, birthdays, but especially around the holidays. It's, it's an expected thing. If we didn't give gifts, there wouldn't be such thing as a Black Friday or a Cyber Monday or any of the other things that, you know, uh, materialism and consumerism implements to rob us of our money. So these are things that we just do. But with gift giving... There is um, just joy in the celebration. It increases the connection and the love that we have with one another and just uh, blesses the people that we give gifts to. The tradition of gift giving around Christmas time can actually be traced back uh, to, I believe, the, uh, probably around the 1800s, maybe a little bit before, to a man named Nicholas who was a bishop or a pastor in what is now the area of Turkey. Nicholas was a uh, young man who loved the Lord, and he went into uh, ministry. He was uh, in the Catholic Church in that area, and Nicholas's parents died when he was a young man, and they left him an inheritance, a pretty sizable sum of money. Instead of becoming greedy and, and being selfish with his money, he decided that he was going to start secretly blessing people. And kind of like, be like a generous ninja. He's going to sneak in, bless, and then, you know, get out undetected. And one day, he heard about this man who had three daughters. And each one of them was to be engaged to be married, but they couldn't get married because in that culture, in that day and time, the father of the bride had to pay a dowry to the bridegroom for the marriage transaction to be solidified. And he couldn't afford to send his daughters away to, to pay the price. And when Nicholas found out about this, he sprung into action. One night, he climbed up onto the roof of the man's house, and he dropped a bag of gold down the chimney. And it just so happens, as the story goes, that the bag of gold landed in a stocking that was hung on the chimney uh, that was being dried and warmed by the fire because they had gotten wet in whatever they were doing that day. And so that's kind of where the, the stocking, you know, giving gifts in the stocking and all of that comes from. So this man was blessed, and, and he was in awe of what happened. He weds his first daughter off, and then it comes time for the second daughter to be married. Same situation. One day, a bag of gold drops down the chimney, and he was able to send his second daughter off to be married. And so he thought, you know, i got to figure out who is doing this. Who, who is, like, blessing us in this way to show our appreciation? So he sets a trap for Nicholas so that when the time for the third daughter to get married comes around... Uh, Nicholas comes to do his thing, and he springs the trap, and he cat, you know, figures out who it was. And, and Nicholas begged him to not tell anybody, but the guy didn't keep his mouth shut, and rumors went around town. And so anytime somebody got a secret blessing, they assumed it was Nicholas doing the blessing. And because of his generosity, the Catholic Church... Uh, made him the patron saint of children because of the way he blessed kids and loved kids and how he worked to do many things through his generosity. And as the, the, this rumor and this story began to travel across Europe, uh, traditions surrounding this gift-giving began to pay it forward. People began to reproduce the, this benevolent act, and gift-giving began to take on its own form through different uh, countries, different nations. Uh, some give gifts on December the 5th in honor of Nicholas's 
uh, I believe, death. Uh, he was arrested under a persecution, and he died in captivity. And so they give gifts in honor on December 5th or December 6th. And there are many different traditions that, that have been uh, sprung up because of this man. When the tradition came across the pond into the United States, and we began to commercialize the gift-giving, uh, we, we began to see other traditions, like when the storybook The Night Before Christmas came out, that's when reindeer were first associated with Santa Claus. And then when the song Rudolph was written, that began to popularize it. So now uh, you can't see an image of Santa Claus without the eight tiny reindeer. So the different things just begin to pop up over time. But it ultimately uh, can be centered or pointed back to the time that Nicholas was on the earth. So these traditions... Uh, continue on. But there was something beyond Nicholas that is the source of gift giving. Nicholas was generous not because he was generous. He was generous because of what a God had done in his life. He had dedicated and devoted himself to not just worshiping the Lord, but serving in the church because he recognized that Jesus, the Son of God, was the Savior of his soul. And when you have an encounter with God, it is life-changing, and it reorients. It doesn't make you perfect, but it does reorient the purpose and direction of your life. It's a tangible thing. And in the story of Jesus, especially the coming of his birth, there is another event where gifts are given. When the wise men or the magi find Jesus with his mother Mary. And so we're going to read this story, and we're just going to touch on a few things before we um, uh, close and, and go into a time of prayer. But in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, here's the story as it's recounted in the Word of God. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from the time that the star first appeared. Uh, learned from them when the time the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It was ahead of them and stooped over the place where the child was. When, the, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So in this account, we, we have the, the wise men. It, often we refer to them as the three wise men, but reality is there could have been more. This could have been a very large entourage. It just says men from the east. We uh, look at and consider three wise men because they were three gifts, not because the Bible actually says they were three. But one thing to notice here is that Joseph is nowhere to be found. He, they find Mary and Jesus, but there's no Joseph. And so as you're thinking about the Christmas story in your mind, as you see it in the movies and you see it maybe even depicted in the, the nativity scenes, 
Normally, you see the three wise men with the shepherds and with uh, the, the holy family. But in this story, the, Joseph wasn't there. He might have been at work. This might have been a separate occasion. Matter of fact, because of what happens later in the story, Herod, after the Magi leave, he gets angry and he sends his soldiers into Bethlehem to kill every male child two years, age, uh, two years of age and younger. And so we learn from the text that they revealed to Herod when the star first appeared, and it could be that Jesus was actually upwards of around two years of age at this time when the Magi show up. So we're not quite sure exactly when this was. We just know it wasn't on the same night that the shepherds find Jesus in the manger. So uh, to, to think biblically and to get our facts straight, it's important that we just look at what the Bible says. But the important thing here is really in the gifts that they give. When the wise men got to Jesus, they gave him three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and many have written on this subject to understand what the symbolism of these gifts were. And we know that these men from, uh, if you were here during uh, week one, we talked about you know, where they came from, this fellowship. Uh, they came from the east and probably learned under Daniel and, and the writings of the other prophets about uh, Jesus and what he would fulfill and what he would represent to Israel. But these three gifts, uh, gold w- was given the first, and gold symbolizes wealth. Right? And everybody would like to get a bag of gold. I mean, I wish Nicholas was around today, could drop some gold in my sock. I would really appreciate that. Um, but gold symbolizes wealth and influence like a king. And so as they gave him gold, what they were representing, symbolizing is this baby is not just a child. He is the king, but not just any king. He is the king above all kings. One day he is going to sit on an eternal throne and he's going to uh, be the one who's given a name that's above every other name and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God our Father. This is not an if, it's a when. This is who this baby is. And they gave him gold because gold is fit for a king. They gave him frankincense. Frankincense is a spice often used in worship. Uh, They would burn it as incense in prayer. And so burning of frankincense represents uh, like a priestly uh, duty. Jesus would not just be a king, but he would also be a priest and a prophet. He is the intercessor between God and people. As he has given his life and he has now ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says that he intercedes for us day and night as our high priest. That, that there's no mediator now between God and people. We don't have to go to a priest in a church to, to pray to the Lord. We have direct access through the Holy Spirit and Jesus to pray to God our Father. He intercedes for us. When we're struggling and we're, we're making mistakes and we're messing up, God's not up there. Jesus is not up there casting judgment. He's interceding on our behalf, defending us against the accuser, the devil. He's defending. He is constantly, even now, uh, acting as our high priest. He gave the once and for all sacrifice on the cross, and now he stands to intercede for us, praying for us before the Father. What an amazing thing. And one day he's going to return as our great high priest, and he's going to lead the worship for all eternity to the glory of God and the Father. Such an amazing thing. The last gift they gave was myrrh. Myrrh is a powerful spice used in preparing dead bodies for burial. Uh, the, the pungent smell of a decaying body would be such that they would need intense scents to cover it for, for burial. And myrrh was given recognizing that he wasn't just a king who came to reign, but he was also the Lamb of God who would be given to take away the sins of the world. That this 
king above all kings, would die and give his life. And so they're giving this and recognizing that he is the sacrificial lamb who would be the only one to give us a sufficient sacrifice to satisfy the justice of God so then God could pour out his love, his grace, and his mercy upon us. And uh, so with this revelation, as I was praying about just this content, this message, and the symbolism, the Spirit of God began to highlight some aspects about this part of the story uh, to me. And we're not, we're not going to be long. I just want to touch on just a, a few things. The first thing is the Magi brought gifts to Jesus. This was an act of submission to the Magi. If you think about the culture back in the day, these were high officials in another king's court from another land. They were from most likely Persia or Babylonia. They were not Israelites. They may have been Jewish, but most likely they were Gentiles from another nation. So they were coming to offer tribute to a king. This would happen when one nation would recognize the superiority and power of another nation. That they would come and they would ask this nation to, uh, to be merciful. They would offer tribute so that that nation wouldn't conquer them and destroy them, but it kind of take them on as a city-state. And they would then be in submission to this nation uh, that was superior to them. So the Magi, are coming, they're offering tribute to now their newfound king. And they're, they're symbolizing that we recognize you are superior to us. You're the one that we need to serve, to submit. And by doing that, they were establishing not just a, uh, a political alliance with the king of kings, but a true spiritual relationship between humanity and the long-awaited Messiah. They're saying, you are the one that is worth us giving all for. You're the one, the one and only, who we can submit to, who we see being the one true king. And this was an event in rare form. Because the Messiah, according to the Jewish mind and the Israelites, they believed that he was coming to free Israel from all their, their enemies, their captors, to sit on the throne of Israel to make Israel the supreme nation above all. And I do believe that that will happen, but not for the reason that Israel, even today, believes the Messiah is coming. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, the prophet Isaiah prophesies this. He says, You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you'll bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus' coming was not just to free and to save the Jews. It was to be a light to the whole world. And it just so happens that the one thing that drew the Magi to Jesus was what? They saw the star. There was a light that appeared that drew them to the one and only King of kings and Lord of lords. The very light of heaven was revealed. And now not just Israel to be saved, but now these nations from abroad would come and have found the light that would lead them out of their darkness. And they were recognizing that, yes, this is the light of the world. This is the hope of the world. And we're going to submit to him because this is where our salvation comes from. This scene is so beautifully illustrates a truth that Jesus said, also recorded in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Not only were they submitting to and beginning a relationship now with the Savior of their souls, but in the act of giving of gifts, Jesus says in Acts 20, verse 35, He says, I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus that said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give 
than to receive. This is a universal truth. Many probably don't recognize that this comes from the Bible. You know, this is something that's quoted all the time in culture. It's better to give than to receive. And this is a powerful thing. Now, growing up, I remember in my youth, when Christmas time came around, it was such an exciting thing to create the Christmas list, right? He's making a list. He's checking it twice. You know, you make your list and, and all the things that you want. And my wife and I are kind of getting a kick out of our kids because some of our kids feel like we have an endless supply of money. And it's amazing some of the things that they're asking for. And it's just, you know, it would be a miracle of God for that to be fulfilled. But, you know, we'll let God handle that. But uh, as, as you create these lists, it's like you think of all the things that you want, all the things that you desire to have. And then when that Christmas day comes, I think of the movie A Christmas Story. And he's excited for that Red Rider BB gun. And they get through all their gifts. And the, that one thing he was looking for wasn't there. But then the father goes behind the tree and, and brings the gift out. And it just makes his day. And he's so excited. And, and I just remember how excited I was to open those gifts. But if you think about the, the gifts when you receive that, how long is it before that gift gets put in a closet and you forget about it? How long is it before you grow out of that pair of shoes that you just desperately won't, you couldn't live without? How long is it before the gifts that we're dying to have soon lose their luster and their appeal or maybe end up being donated to somebody else's family? Right? Those, those gifts, it's exciting and it's, it, it brings joy for a moment, but it's not a lasting joy. The reason why it's better to give than to receive is because when you give, you also receive. And what you receive is not just the blessing of blessing someone else, but you receive an increase in relationship with the person that you bless. You are able to cultivate a deeper bond and create memories that last for all eternity. What I know to be true in my own life, and I think what Jesus is getting at when he says it's better to give than to receive, it's a blessing to be blessed, but the joy of giving to others is greater, which is why now as a parent, I don't really care what I get for Christmas. I'm at that place where it's like, if they just think of me, it's a cool thing. Like, they could give me a pack of gum, and I'd be like, this is the best thing ever, right? Like, when it comes to my kids or whatever, I'm more interested in watching them tear open the presents, and then I get anxious, and then I have to gather up all the, the tissue paper and everything and get it out of the way because messes make me nervous. But, you know, it's, it's just, I enjoy that. I love seeing them tear it open, and the videos on Facebook where the kid opens up, and he's like, oh, my gosh, and he starts crying, and, you know, those things are just amazing, but when you gift, give a gift, what you get is the person's heart in return. And that is an invaluable treasure that never loses its luster. That's far more valuable than you could pay a dollar for anything else. And I think what we see in this Christmas story is that by giving these gifts to Jesus, the Magi receive a twofold blessing in return. Number one, they were blessed to honor the king, to be among, among the first to recognize the coming Savior, to recognize this is the one we've been waiting for, praying for, longing for, and to be in that place where they could then bless and worship the king. And though they walked away and left him there with his mother, what they didn't realize is that they also received a gift in return. 
They didn't really come to receive, they came to give, but they received a gift in return. And what they received was what they were waiting for, and that was Jesus. They received the greatest gift. By submitting to Jesus, recognizing his rule and authority, they then received Jesus, who's the greatest gift anyone could ever hope for. He is a treasure that is beyond dollar figure and beyond worth. The second aspect of the gift is the gift they receive was an eternal relationship with the God of the universe. They didn't just get the privilege of worshiping the Lord first. They received an eternal relationship with the God of the universe. They received the heart of God in return. John 6.37, again, the Jews thought the Messiah was just for Israel, but in John 6.37, Jesus said, however, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. If you belong to the Lord, you will never be rejected by the Lord. Jesus didn't reject the Magi because they were Gentiles. On the contrary, he became their Savior. And he freely gave himself to them for the salvation of their souls. 1 John 5.12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. They gave their hearts to Jesus, and Jesus in return gave his heart to them. And not just his love, he ultimately one day gave his life. John 15, 13 says, there's no greater love than to lay someone's life down or one's life down for your friends. Jesus gave his life for them. He gave his life for me and he gave his life for you and for the whole world. And he did it because by giving his life, he gained your heart. God is the best gift giver. The Bible says all good things come from the Father, but the best thing that he gave was Jesus. And why did he give it? Because there's a priceless treasure that he's been hoping for and longing for and ready to unwrap, and that is your heart. That's why Jesus came. That's why he was born as a baby. That's why he took on flesh. That's why he was laid in a manger. He gave himself so that you would respond by giving your heart to him. It's better to give than to receive. This is why God is a giver, because in giving, he receives an even greater reward. In Hebrews, it says that because of the joy awaiting Jesus on the other side of the cross, he was able to endure the cross, dis disregard its shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. What was that joy? That joy was you. He came to bring good tidings of comfort and joy, but by doing so, he also received joy an inheritance that will never rust, never corrupt, and that is the e eternal souls of every one of his children, the bride of Jesus Christ. When we receive Jesus, when we submit to him as King of kings and Lord of lords, when we submit to him and give him our hearts, this is what many scholars call the great exchange. By giving Jesus your heart, you get his in return. By giving him your sin, you get his righteousness. By giving him your life, he fills you with his life for all eternity. And the more you give him, guess what? The more of him you receive. And this is the truth we carry on in the, the mantle of generosity. Every time we give a gift, what we're symbolizing in that act is we're telling the gospel story through our message that there was one who gave a gift for you to unwrap. And when you do, in return, you're reconciled to him. 
that God gave us the greatest gift we could ever ask for. All we have to do is receive it. And we receive it by blessing him in return with relationship. You want to bless your life and strengthen your relationships? Be like your Father in heaven. Be a giver. Walk in generosity. Let the love of God flow through you this season. Find ways to bless people in ways that you've never attempted to before. And as people are drawn to you, point them to the greatest gift that you've ever received. We see this gift in John 3, 16 and 17. It says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Maybe you're here today, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You have a form of religion. You've grown up in church. You know some of the stories, but... You've never really had an encounter with God where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. Where you hear his voice, you have his peace, you feel his joy even in the midst of struggle. And, and you're in this place where you want to know God, but there's just something that, that is, makes you feel at a distance with him. See, for the wise men to establish that relationship, it first began, began with recognizing that Jesus is Lord. Recognizing that he is who he is and then submitting yourself to him, saying, Lord, you are Lord. I confess you as my Lord. In their gifts, their gifts don't just rep recognize or represent who Jesus is and what he would do. Their gifts all also represent spiritual realities in our life. If we want a relationship with God, we need to give God our gold, which means that represents kingship. We need to give God the right to sit as king on the throne of our hearts. We need to give God our gold, and he will lead us as king toward a glorious destiny and on an amazing adventure. I have been on this earth for 37 years, and I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's no greater adventure that I've ever been on than following Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Learning to know the Spirit of God, walk in the Spirit, and be used by God. It is such an amazing journey. We need to give God our gold, submit to him as king. We also need to give God our frankincense. We need to worship him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. We need to pray. We need to seek. We need to glorify him in all you do. And when we pray, when we enter his presence and we worship, the word of God promises he will fill you with his peace and his joy. Because there's peace in his presence. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. We want a relationship with God, we need to give him our frankincense. And lastly, if we want a relationship with God, we need to also give him our myrrh. Which means we need to repent of our sins. We need to recognize that he came for a reason. It wasn't for a story. It's because sin is real. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are like sheep who've gone astray. We've all gone our own way. We left God's paths to follow our own. There is none righteous, no non-one. The greatest righteousness we have, the word of God says, is like filthy rags. We are saved by God's grace, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast about it. No one's getting to heaven on their own merit. Why? Because we're all sinners. But Jesus came to take away our sin. And he offers us 
salvation if we give him our myrrh. We recognize, Lord, you are the sacrifice that can take away my sins. Lord, I repent of my sin. As Lord, I choose this day to turn from sin and follow you, to seek you with my whole heart. You truly want a life-changing encounter with the risen Lord, with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then you need to give your whole heart to Jesus, your gold, your frankincense, and your myrrh. And when you do, Jesus will give his whole life to you. And it's a gift that keeps on giving. He first sends you his Holy Spirit to live in your heart. That's enough. But that's not the end. Not only does he fill you with the Spirit, he fills you with spiritual gifts so that you can bless others. He unites you in a faith family that extends beyond and is deeper bonded than anything you can put into words. And God works all things in your life, the good and the bad, together for your good because he loves you and he's called you to a glorious purpose. God's gift continues to give, and even in eternity, there is an inheritance and a blessing waiting for you that will never rust, never corrupt, never be put away. So why, church, is it better to give than to receive? Because by giving Jesus your heart, you get Jesus in return. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come into this time of prayer, Lord, we just thank you for this example. We thank you, Lord, for the coming of Jesus as a baby, but even more so, God, we turn our eyes to the cross. We thank you, God, that the King of all kings, the glory of heaven, would stoop down and take on flesh and become, become a baby, become human, so that he could give his life the perfect sacrifice to fulfill your anger against sin, but then also provide a way for your love to be poured out upon everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. No one that turns to you will be shunned or rejected. Everyone who calls on Jesus will be saved, God. And I just pray for this group here today as we go into a time of prayer. As the music begins to play, Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a relationship with you, that today, God, they would decide to give you their gold, to recognize your lordship, and to confess you as the Lord of their life, that they'd give you their frankincense, that they would worship you because of what you've done, the sacrifice that you've given, the offer of salvation, and your mercy and unfailing love. And they would give you their myrrh, God, as they repent of sin and do away with a life of brokenness and a life headed for destruction as they pursue eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give that revelation to us all afresh today, all anew, that all religious baggage, all religious tradition would be done away with. Every, uh, everything that has been brought into our lives that's disconnected us from the truth and the depth of that reality of your great love, God, that that would be done away with and that right now, Holy Spirit, you would draw. You would draw us. that all who need an encounter with you, God, will receive today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, you've not begun a relationship, you don't know that your sins are forgiven, you don't know 
110% that if you were to stand before God, that he would let you into heaven. I just want to pray for you. I want to pray God's blessing on you. If you would slip your hand up, no one's going to call you out or embarrass you, but just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, I don't know that if I were to die today that I would go to heaven, but I want to know. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. I want to begin a relationship with God. Would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Lord, you said in your word that you would leave the 99 to pursue the one, and I know you're pursuing them here today. So God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would touch them right now. And it wouldn't be condemnation that they feel, but your amazing, unfailing love. to raise their hand just right here in the quietness of this room. The Word of God says, all you have to do to be saved is to believe in your heart God raised Jesus from the dead and confess Him as your Lord and Savior. You ask Him to forgive you of your sins. He's faithful to cleanse you of all unrighteousness for all time. It's in the giving of your heart is where that transaction of salvation occurs. And right now, in this moment, If that's you here today, I'm going to invite you to pray to God with me, to confess Him as Lord and believe. And right now where you are, God's going to touch you, and He's going to radically transform your life. You're going to leave this place different. Life will not be perfect because this is a broken world, but life will be different. You're going to be flooded with joy and peace like you've never experienced. Right here in the quietness of this moment, if you need to receive Jesus, you want to know that you're on your way to heaven, pray this just quietly with me. Just speak it out loud. It doesn't have to be loud and obnoxious. Just quietly there in a whisper is fine. Just pray this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. I recognize him today as my Lord and my Savior. I give you my heart. Forgive me of all my sin. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to live for you. You are Lord, now and forever. Amen. God, I thank you for all those that prayed. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work that you're doing in their life right now. I thank you that legacies are changed, family lines have changed because of the work that you're doing, and this is what we live for. God, we just praise you in this place, and I'm so thankful, Lord, to be in a position to see you change hearts and lives. God, we thank you for the manger. We thank you for the cross. We give you our worship today, and Lord, I pray for those that are here that may be They've recognized you as king, but they've not really been following you as Lord. There are those that maybe have made a confession, but yet their worship is still afar off because they've been withholding that part of their lives. Or maybe there's gold and there's frankincense, but we've been neglecting the myrrh because we're afraid of being rejected. 
God, I pray right now, Lord, as we enter a time of prayer, we open the altar for people to come forward as our prayer team even now begins to come forward to pray just before we come to the Lord's Supper. I just pray, God, that you would draw hearts and you would give breakthrough. God, you're the God of breakthrough. You're the God of miracles. And we just pray that now in Jesus' name. If you need to come for prayer for any reason, you'd like our prayer team to pray with you before we receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. We're going to invite you now to, to come for prayer. And uh, all everyone else will just stay in an attitude of prayer for just a few moments. Be praying for the church. Be praying for people. If you have a testimony you'd like to share, because of something God's done in your life, then uh, the microphone will be down front and uh, we can open that up for you. Hello, okay. I have a testimony. I can be heard. God can be heard as a mighty trumpet for all to hear. But God can also be a whisper in the wind. And last time I was here, I was prayed over for a lot of nerve pain that I was having in my legs. And God later was that whisper in the wind. And he told me what I needed to do. And I can tell you today that nerve pain is completely gone. Thank you, Jesus. 